Welcome to All About Audio Podcast, where we discuss topics relevant to audio industry professionals. I'm your host, Sean Chapman. Each month, I will interview audio professionals to bring you tips and advice for working in audio or starting your own business. This month, I speak with Dan Drago of 25 O'Clock Pod about DIY recording, home studio setups, and working out of non-pro spaces. Why don't you introduce yourself? Uh, tell us who you are. Tell us what you do inside of the audio industry. My name is Dan Drago. Uh, I'm a podcast producer and audio production guy in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I've lived here for, gosh, how long? 16, 17 years. Uh, was part of the music scene for years and years. Still am. Uh, my podcast is in, almost entirely Philly music-centric. It's called 25 O'Clock, and I interview bands and artists and various other music scene people. Uh, and been doing it out of my own home studio for a long time. And before that, I was in touring bands, and I made records for people and just travel around and did the things that I, I love to do. Can you tell us, so, um, like I was mentioning before, you have a really cool-looking setup there in your home. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> can you tell us uh, about some of the gear that you have back there? Oh, sure. Well, everything you see behind my back is all just, like, musician practice space gear. Most of the stuff I have in this studio, it's half of it's for production, half of it's, you know, for the podcast and things like that. Uh, and the other half is just all gear that I've acquired over years and years of playing in bands and having practice spaces and working with people. Um, when I bought this house uh, years ago, I got to kind of call all the gear back in, like from, it was scattered all over the Northeast and East Coast. And I brought it all back in and looked at it all. And I was just like, oh gosh, I have a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, that, that's um, a good moment in the process when you're like, oh, actually, like I have a decent amount of, of gear. Yeah, now. yeah. You look around, you're just like, I can... I can record an album for someone. I have the stuff. <laughs> like, cause, you know, for years I thought like, oh, you know, my, my mobile rig's not great because, you know, I don't have this or that or the other thing. It turns out that I had all that stuff. It was just somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I'm also someone who likes to do mobile recording and um, is involved in kind of the DIY world. Can you tell me about your mobile recording process and what kind of gear that you use and how you transport it, all that stuff. Oh, sure, sure. Um, somewhere somewhere around like 2011, 2012, I got way more serious about building a mobile rig. Uh, and a lot of that is, is due to my brother, Dave, uh, Dave Drago, who's a producer as well. Uh, he's got a studio in Western New York called 1809 Studios uh, and actually lived out in Denver for a little while as well. But uh, he produced two excellent records for uh, this little indie band in Boston called Tallahassee. Uh, and he did it all with a mobile rig with like, uh, I think at the time he was using like an ART eight channel fire. It was, it was, it was a firewire unit. Um, just pulling it all into pro tools and doing all his mixing in the box, doing all his production in the box. And he, I thought at the time I was like, wow, you can do this with a laptop and maybe just like, you know, a thousand, maybe fifteen hundred dollars worth of gear if you spend the money right. Totally. Like, and away you go. You can you can make records for people. Uh, they might not be you know to some people's standards of what could be done you know in a in a studio, but also the record exists, so therefore you win because you made the thing. You made <laughs> you the might, thing you that might wasn't going to exist. A cool raw quality. 
you yeah. Don't get... Or sometimes you end up with a cool kind of closed, uh, like real close mic stuff and things like that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get ambience of the space and it turns out to be more awesome than anything you ever could have created with a plugin. Totally. Um, you have to be ready for all these like weird kind of gorilla, like gorilla happy accident type things right there. And you just got to roll with it. Yep. Um, but that's when I got serious about it. And uh, I, I started doing it for my own band as well. We would like work tape that way. And when we would get ready to go into the studio, I'd make my band. I'm like, okay, we're going to record the entire album right now in our rehearsal space. Uh, so that way, when we go into the studio, we're not like, we, we've done this before. You know, it's, it's the whole idea in theater of a dress rehearsal. It's like, obviously, we're not making the real record in the practice space, but we're going through the motions of tracking and we're going through the motions of making arrangement choices and making uh, all the choices that you'd rather not make while the clock is running. And that's the joy of DIY recording uh, is a little more relaxed. I would go into people's spaces instead of us going into a recording studio. Some people can get really gun shy uh, in a professional recording studio. They can be really intimidating places and a lot of them don't intend to be, but you know, you just walk in, you see all this gear built into a wall and a gigantic board and you're just like, what what's going to happen am i am i even good enough to like you know play you know play music in a place like this uh and of course that's a preposterous thing to think but i've thought it <laughs> yeah totally i mean yeah it is intimidating cuz you have all this like pro stuff and you're like am i pro enough to to be here yeah 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 exactly exactly and you're just like you're like am i even good enough for someone to like you know Put a, put a Neumann in front of, you know, things like that. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and the answer is you are. You deserve a Neumann, whoever you are out there. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that, you know, you're within the, the DIY world. So what, what does that mean to you and what, what do you do within that community? Uh, to me, DIY is just at its core. It's, it's taking the reins of your own production. Uh, if you want to like misquote Karl Marx or, you know, early ideas of communism, but it's the idea of like seizing the means of production, being like, I can do this myself. I can decide when we're going to record, how we're going to record, for how long. I can decide how much money it's going to cost. I can decide what we're going to do with it when we're done. I can decide what kind of shows we're going to play, you know, and, and like from a band standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, from a producer standpoint, I'd be like, I can decide what kind of groups I want to work with, what kind of music I want to do. Uh, and then I can decide when I want to do something completely different. Uh, that's the joy of DIY. Uh, it's scary and uh, really hard sometimes because you are wearing all the hats, like you are doing everything. And, that's like that's the trade-off you know it's like you can't you can't have it both ways you can't have complete control but then also not have the responsibility so Mm -hmm. you have to you have to be ready to take the responsibility uh and make mistakes and have to do stuff over uh or put something out and then like a month later realize like oh man i finally figured out you know what noise floor is now or something like that now i now i can but and you can't necessarily go back and like you know fix someone's old record but you can just know going ahead you're like oh well i know what to do this at at this point listen to any any producer who's come up in the diy world into the pro world if you go and listen to their early records uh you can hear a bit of them in there but you can also tell it's like yep you were still learning but that's great like that could be really fun to hear if you don't go back and listen to some of your old recordings and cringe then you probably haven't improved 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> if you go back and listen to the stuff you made 10 years ago and just be like, still the best stuff I've ever made, that's a problem. Right. <laughs> right. When you do end up tracking your own stuff, do you mix it yourself? Do you master it yourself? If it's for myself, like for like if I'm writing like for my own purposes i don't really have much of a project right now uh as a musician uh and you know it's not like anyone really has an outlet right now to like be able to go out and play shows or anything like that um but when i write for myself uh i do i I do mostly write you know you you know the term mixing in the box well i I write in the box a lot of the times too Mm -hmm. um which is great it's just it's become a tool of how i how i write music as well as how i record music that stuff i typically don't uh mix or master or fuss over i'll usually send that out um, I have enough friends out there in the world that you know I've I've met over the many many years I've been doing this um, that I'm able to call upon uh, and for money too. You should always pay your friends, uh, even if it's even if it's a, a quarter of what they would charge somebody else. You got to pay your friends. You got to you have to have that expectation, that sort of set role expectation in there, where it's like I am the client and you are the provider. Um, even if, again, even if it's an honorarium, even if it's a very small amount of money, uh, it just helps, it helps keep everything in, in the boxes it needs to be kept, uh, right there. Yeah. Um, you might have that friend who expects free work. Yeah. And, and, and you know what? Money isn't always the, money's not the only currency, Mm -hmm. uh, but it needs to be worth both people's while. I've done stuff for trade in all kinds of different ways. Uh, I've recorded or mixed or helped with production uh, for someone in a band who was also uh, a PR agent. And then that in turn, I was able to get cheaper free PR for another band I was working for, which made me more attractive to, you know, to come on with. And it's all, it's all the big favor bank. You know, if you hang around a scene long enough and you're a genuine person and you're good to work with, uh, you'll owe favors and people owe you favors. And that's just how it works or at least how it should work. Yeah, definitely makes sense. So tell us a little bit about your projects, your, your podcast that you have. Sure, sure. Uh, I actually have two now, which if you'd asked me in the beginning, uh, would have been two more than I ever would have thought that I would have. Uh, (laughs) But (laughs) um, I started 25 O'Clock, which is my primary uh, podcast project, uh, back in 2014. Uh, It was shortly after... Is 14? Yeah, 14 sounds right. <laughs> After long enough goes by, you start to like lose uh, lose track of how long you've been doing something. Especially yeah, now. it was around the yeah. It was shortly after uh, I sort of stopped touring and stopped being more active in bands. Uh, I was like, I was in my very early 30s at the time and just wanting to have a little more stable of a day to day life, but still interact with the Philadelphia music scene which has been amazing since day one, since the day I set foot uh, in this city to live um, back in 2003, 2004. It's been an amazing scene. Uh, and I still wanted to interact with it. And most of my friends were involved in it. And I didn't, I didn't want to be that guy who like went and got a job at a bank and then you never saw me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I started doing this podcast and just sort of like interviewing my friends, like people in bands, like my peers and stuff like that. And, I would sort of open it up to like, okay, well, who do you know? Who should I talk to? And what you realize when you kind of do that tree thing right there where you kind of branch out, um, you realize, number one, uh, we all know each other. Uh, it's You're maybe only one or two degrees away from everybody. Uh, and two, like, 
what a rich scene you have. And it, you don't have to live in a big place like Philadelphia or New York or Nashville. You can live in a small town, small city. There's a scene. You know, there's, there's a group of people doing the work. And you just got to find them. So tell us a little bit about the, the scene in Philadelphia. Uh, the, the, the scene is always there, regardless of, of the shows or not. Now, you know, a lot of people in this scene have sort of lost their ability to make income the way they used to. Mm-hmm. But the scene is still here and it is adapted. And I'm sure you could say the same in the Denver music scene as well. Like there was a little period at the beginning where everyone kind of didn't know what to do. And then people got innovative. People got interesting. People figured out, you know, how to, how to do it. Uh, how to how to get out there to people and how to still you know get your music out there share music with each other have community because that's seen like Definitely. is community how to have that while we couldn't go to clubs together while we couldn't you know do house shows and basement shows and outdoor shows and stuff like that uh, and we were able to have a few small uh, you know socially distanced outdoor show type situations here over the summer um, it worked out a lot of people doing their absolute best to do right by the bands and then also be safe, you know, cause that was a, that was a huge concern right there. Uh, and still is, uh, but the scene is incredibly diverse. Every kind of music, every single kind of music you can think of. There are people in Philadelphia doing it really well. Rock, hip hop, soul, R and B, jazz, singer, songwriter, folk, Latin music, Asian music, uh, like all kinds, pop music and DIY, you know, indie underground music. It's all being done here. Uh, But the cool thing about Philly is that unlike New York or Nashville or Los Angeles, we're not an industry town. We're not a music industry town. So you kind of lose some of those opportunists uh, and you lose a lot of middlemen. Um, Not to say that they don't exist, but there's a lot less of them here than there are in Nashville. Hmm. Yeah, that's probably a good thing. Oh, it's great. Uh, and also the people who are making music here, like the music that they are making is a more often than not a genuine expression of themselves. They're not like, oh, you know, I'll make pop music because I hear that's big right now. Or, oh, I'll make, you know, this kind of electronic music because it's big on YouTube. Uh, they make the music they want to make that makes them excited and that they dig. And that's like, there's no substitute for that. Like you can't, you can't just dial that in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's Philly in a nutshell. Also, we suffer literally no BS. Like that's kind of a, it's a thing we're known for. Sometimes in a, in, in a way that seems uh, angry or uh, prickly. <laughs> but uh, I assure you that like Philly is one of those places where like if you moved here, like say there's no pandemic and you moved here and you met some people at an open mic and you said, Hey, we should. You, you like their music, and you said, "Hey, we should work together sometime. We should play a show together. We should write some songs together. We should record together." I guarantee you, within a week to a month, you will be doing exactly that. Like that's kind of how we work. When we say we want to do things together, we do them. It's not like, it's not like, oh, I'll call you, you call me, kind of thing. Like, like if someone says, like, yeah, I want to work with you, it's ninety nine percent sure that it's going to happen. Is there any advice? that you would give to an audio engineer just starting out? Don't try and get it all in one swoop. Uh, I mean that on a lot of levels. Like, Don't try to buy everything you need right away. You won't. It's impossible. Uh, I'm st- 
still purchasing things. I've been in this game for a long time, and there are people who've been in it longer than I am and do it better at a different scale than I do it. We're always always buying gear. Studios are always buying new gear, swapping out old things with new things, uh, bringing back that old thing in place of a new thing, realizing that the old thing maybe worked better than the new thing. Um, but don't try and get it all in one go. Uh, get yourself some good, you know, good solid working gear, uh, like like a wor- working man's gear. Uh, get a good dynamic microphone. Get a good condenser microphone. Buy some good cables. It can seem uh, easy at the time to cheap out on accessories like cables and connectors and stuff like that. I have learned the hard way oh, many yeah. times yeah, when my cables crap out. It'd be like, but I got 20 of them for, for, for $30. You're just yeah. like, yeah, that's, that's, that's $30 well spent. <laughs> yeah, Could have bought three. On you in the middle of something important. <laughs> yeah. Oh, or something. Yeah, yeah. When people are looking at you. Yeah. When you do start to get into little things like out like things like outboard gear uh you know single channel compressors and things like that just by one at a time by one at a time and just work with it run everything through it that you can like uh if you if you have a podcast and it's just your voice get yourself a nice preamp and just spend the time with it like figure out what it does figure out its limitations figure out what it really excels at and like really spend time because it's so easy where plugins and everything you can buy a pack of plugins you can get 10 plugins at once but you never really learn how to use any of them because you get 10 plugins you'll get three different uh equalizer plugins three different ones that all do the same thing they equalize Mm -hmm. they they alter the band um but if you just got one and just really poked at it for a week or two, you will be so much a better producer uh, than if you surrounded yourself with five or six different versions of the same thing. Uh, redundancy is good when it comes to cables and connectors, <laughs> but when it mm-hmm. comes to things like, I don't know, like plugins or even outboard gear, more than one or two of something especially if you're a DIY uh, producer or a home recorder or field or like a, like a field recorder, it's just, it's just stuff. You can only use so many at, at, at one time. Right. Yeah. I, I totally agree with you. You should get, have fewer things and get to know them very well. At least at first, same goes with like guitar pedals or something like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been doing a thing during, uh, during the, during the pandemic when I was, you know, getting, getting more serious about playing guitar. I played guitar since I was, you know, 14, but like really starting to learn like, okay, like how do I really play the guitar? Not how have I been playing the guitar for, you know, 20 plus years? Like let's really get serious about this. And I started breaking down my pedal rig uh, to one pedal at a time and spending like a week just being like, we're only playing through this pedal. Um, For about two weeks, it was just me, a clean signal, and one wah pedal. And I'm like, all right, we're going to actually learn how to use a wah pedal. Uh, and not just like, not just make like cool, like 70s sounds and not just do like, uh, like the 70s, like texture, like, like palm mute picking. I'm like, we're actually going to learn how to bend tone thing. And it was great. It was a really, really useful exercise. I feel like I'm so much more versed on what that pedal does or what my particular pedal Mm -hmm. does. Yeah, because I was the same. I, I used to be the same way with guitar. You know, six, seven, eight, twelve pedals in my rig. <laughs> uh, stuff that turned on for one chorus of one song, and maybe we didn't even play that song that yeah. night. You know that kind of stuff. And it's just mucking up your chain, kind of. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Everything you put between the instrument and the amplifier is something that can degrade the signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you get really high end stuff, high end cables, high end uh, high end pedals, you're just every time you pass it through something, you degrade the signal a little bit. And so you have yep. to ask yourself every time you do that, was it worth it? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes three fuzz pedals in a row is yes. Sometimes that's going to work really well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and sometimes it's a waste of signal. I guess my other piece of advice I would have to someone new starting out is listen to people around you, like listen to other producers and stuff like that, but try not to measure yourself against them as whether or not you are good, good as them, better than them, worse than them. Just listen like just listen to how somebody does something and that can be like on records like in making music or can be like if you're getting into producing your own podcast just listen to other podcasts and try not to measure yourself on is this as good as npr is this as good as Mm -hmm. you know joe rogan's show it's a terrible example i don't like joe rogan's (laughs) show but i mean but from a production standpoint it sounds good it sounds like stern you know and stern for the longest time was kind of the gold standard of you know broadcast you know broadcast radio like that was that was mm-hmm. high end right there his production standard was you know was sought after listen to that stuff and see what you can learn from it even if you don't copy it try not to measure yourself against everything because you will always you always find someone you think is better than you you always find someone you think is isn't better than you um always keep your mouth shut on the latter part cuz you know who knows what other people think about what you know what you're listening to people could think it sounds fine and you could have like some nitpicky idea and in the end it doesn't matter and then you look like a crazy person (laughs) (laughs) well is there anything else that you'd like to to bring up or or talk about in this um what else did we say we were gonna that we were gonna cover Um, mostly like working out of non-pro spaces oh sure yeah i can talk i've worked almost primarily out of non-pro spaces um the great thing about the DIY world and DIY in, in recording um, is that you're going to find yourself in non-studio spaces more often than not, uh, and that can be awesome. Like you, you'll learn in time how to treat a room, simple things that you can do. You know, you don't have to bring in you know professional studio baffles and things like that. You can build you can build like sort of drum booths out of, you know, a couple of mattresses and a blanket. Cardboard boxes work pretty well. I've done it. I've done it. Uh, Just, you can, you can figure out how to treat a room and how to change the sound or how to isolate. Just, you know, when you figure these things out, it's almost common sense. You're just like, oh yeah, if you put something in between the thing that's happening and the other thing, like you're going to change how that sound is received one way or the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, distance and don't be afraid to stick your ear next to things. Like that's how, that's how uh, that's what a lot of producers and engineers tell uh, early producers and engineers. Like if someone's playing acoustic guitar, literally stick your head around where they're playing acoustic guitar mm-hmm. and figure out like where does this sound great. Your ear is uh, the microphone. I, Yep. I learned I learned from doing that and from watching a couple other uh, you know, live mic'd uh, things that a great way to mic acoustic guitar is kind of over the shoulder near the player's ear because think about what the acoustic guitar sounds like to you when you're playing it. Like 
that's cool. Like that, that's a very cool sound that doesn't really often get captured uh, in a in a recording. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, because the person who's playing is is trying to get the best tone from their perspective. Yep, and they're reacting to their to their tonal perspective and all that right there. Mm-hmm. Little stuff like that. Um, watch YouTube videos, read message board threads, and stuff like that. Um, you don't always have to chime in, but just just read, see what works for you, and then go out and try it. See what works for you. See what doesn't work for you. You can have opinions and you can have, you know, preferences as you move through life. They will change constantly. Um, but always just be open. Just always be open to, hey, what's going to sound cool? Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got from an engineer uh, was he told me, he says, every single session I do, he's like, I want to do one thing different. One thing. He's like, and if at the end of the year I've had, you know, 60 sessions, like I've done 60 new things in a year. And he's like, that's pretty cool to, to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do that too when I, when I work with bands, which I, I haven't done as much. I mean, certainly not lately, uh, but n- not for a little bit beforehand. Uh, but when I do like podcast remotes or when I go out and do live things like that, I try and do one different thing that I think would be neat you know, that I think would change the sound or improve things or just offer a different perspective. Uh, and nine times out of 10, you're usually right. <laughs> uh, what kind of mic are you using there for your voice? This is the BCD-1 from MXL, uh, sort of their knockoff of the uh, EVRE 20 Oh, okay, um, cool, yeah. Sounds good. When I was, yeah, when, when I was getting mics together and kind of figuring out what i wanted uh i wanted an evr 20 uh because yeah. i liked them and i'd used them in the studio for various things uh i used one once as a kick drum mic uh with a fet head oh, on it just to boost okay, the cool. signal it was really cool uh very very different sounding uh kick drum uh can't say it would work in every single every single uh application but it was yeah. pretty neat and i've used it as a sound hole mic too for uh for an acoustic guitar uh, again, with a with a fet head on it as well to uh, to boost the signal, uh, which was just told to me once on my way to a session where someone handed me the RE twenty that I was gonna borrow for them, and been like, "Oh, hey, here," and just handed me a fet head and be like, "Try this on some stuff," and like just sent me out the door. And I didn't even know what a fet head was at the time. I was like, "What does this do?" <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's fun too when someone just hands you something. It's like, I don't know, go make some stuff, kid. I got stuff to do. <laughs> Um, but that, yeah, that's the mic I have here. But when I, uh, when I wanted the RE20, uh, I just, I looked at my budget and I said, well, I could buy one RE20, which means I would have a really nice mic. Right. Uh, and I would give my guests a 58, uh, or, you know, some other smaller dynamic mic. And I thought, or for the price of one, I could buy two of these. Nice. So what do those run? The, the MXLs? Oh gosh, I think they're like uh, 170, 180, oh, wow. something that's, like that. Cool. Uh, they should be under 200. Uh, don't pay more than 200 for it. <laughs> um, and then I, I, I had a wonderful Amazon snafu where they sent me an extra one. <laughs> you ever try and give something back to Amazon? It doesn't work. And yeah. I just threw my hands in the air. I was trying to do the right yeah, thing. They I was won't like, even this isn't. <laughs> well, I, I, I was trying to do the right thing. Right. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want this to come back and bite me in the butt, yeah. and it's not mine. <laughs> You know, I, I don't steal, but all the problems it took of me trying to give it back, I was like, you know what? Screw you guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping this. Yeah. Uh, but I use that. And when I'm, uh, when I'm on the road, uh, when I do this stuff in, in remote, uh, Electro Voice makes these little kind of their versions of like uh, the SM58. Uh, and I like those. Hmm. Um, they're just, you know, little dynamic 
little dynamic handheld microphones. Uh, and I'll do that because I don't, you know, take, you know, take these things with their various, you know, mounting apparatuses around and all that. Or you just hand someone a mic and just be like, here, put it to your face when you want to talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like you can do pretty much anything with mics like that, like the SM58. I mean, yeah, you could pretty much you mic anything with it. If, if you only had like a bunch of those, I mean, you could make mm-hmm. a good record. Oh yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's like a. I, I, this is probably apocrypha, but like I remember someone telling me once that like, oh, you know, uh, Sufjan Stevens did most of Illinois, you know, in his house with just S, with just a couple of SM57s. Uh, and I thought about it. I was like, you get good clean signal, and you put it in the box, like, and and you know what to do with with your post production effects and all that. And like, yeah, direct. You can make all records off just direct signal and sure. one microphone. We stick an stick an SM57 on kick drum, sure. Yeah, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, I have too. Because <laughs> usually because it was the only thing that we right. had. To yeah, put exactly. on kick I have drum. this and this. Um, I have this, this and this, and <laughs> that needs to go on that. You know. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The number of times where I've looked around, yeah. I'm like. Well, one overhead because that's all we have. I love a mono overhead on on drums. Sometimes yeah. it's just when I go to mix, I'm just like, "This is great." If I really want to give you that stereo pan, I'll just dual mono it and pan it out hard, yeah. like, and just give you that kind of stereo feel to it. Um, sometimes when I go to mix, I just I want less choices. I don't want to yeah. worry about three mics on the toms, two overhead, one on the top of the snare, one on the bottom of the snare. You know, it's like. I just want to mix the drums. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something to be said about limitations, and sometimes that sets you up to having to use your your mind a little bit more. Or um, also, sometimes fewer mics means fewer, like less muddiness. Choices. Got to make choices. Yeah. That's something. I mean, I don't know how old you are, uh, but I'm I'm 40, and I went to school and learned some of the digital audio that I would learn at a time when that was just starting to get phased. Well, not just starting, but like starting to get phased in more to recording programs and audio production. And I didn't even do like music recording production. I was more radio. I was, you know, making documentaries NPR style and like learning how to do that. Uh, And learning, you know, SoundForge and cool edit pro and things like that. But that stuff was wild, but we had the foundation of even tape like i had a little bit of tape experience before i got into it not just cassette tapes but like you know actual reel-to-reel uh and splicing but yeah that, that was we when you have a foundation in like the old clunky way uh when you get so when you sit down and use like an la2a plug-in clone you already kind of know what it does. Like, you know what a compressor does. You know what a limiter does because you've literally turned the dials on it before and listened to it manipulate sound in the moment. Yeah. Um, and you're just set up to do that more. And all my friends my age who, like, grew up with Tascam 4-track recorders, but, like, we know how to pan and we know, you know, how to use a three-band EQ. Yeah. Uh, and... You know how to use how to completely oversaturate with reverb to the point that it's ridiculous. Like we we know how to do that. <laughs> yep. yeah. I love those Tascam tape recorders. They sound sound pretty nice, especially the 488. Yeah, I, I I still have one somewhere in here because I'm like I'll never get rid of it. I love using that old stuff. I just love knowing it's around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like, but I also love making music in the box, and I love that people can do that. 
now yeah. and that like kids who wanted to make music when when I was a teenager we really had to want to make music like really you had to like mm-hmm. get guys together practice your songs and then like go find a studio in your your town like wherever that was yep. and there might have been one guy or he might have been like three towns over and that was your guy if he was good great if he wasn't good too bad that's like, all you, you have stu- yeah, totally. you stuck with him you're stuck with- and school. and you learn to go yeah oh me too me too but these guys were good to us like these mm-hmm. like you know sort of regional hobby studio guys that i met we like gave me my first interest in like oh you can do this uh i remember one told me i was like 17 and he said he's like look he's like I'm happy to get paid by you. He's like, but you guys are young and you've already talked to me about four track demos. He's like, just go do it yourself. He's like, I feel, he's like, I feel bad. You guys are 17 and I'm taking like $300 from you. He's like, that you probably spent half the year putting together. Like, he's like, let me tell you how to do it yourself. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. Oh, those are great guys who like see it and just like, hey, like, let me, let me give you some advice that like, you know, you, you need at this moment in time. Uh, and, and that was in, in in the end, like when you don't have a lot of money and you don't have a lot of resources, you have to do things yourself. Like you fix your own gear and you cobble together your own PA system and you figure out how to record, you know, your your weird gnarly garage band. Um, Guided by Voices made a career out of it for years and years before they, you know then started making, you know, more polished records. And there are some core fans of that band who don't like the polished records. They only like B thousand and Forever Since Breakfast and all those like old lo fi scratchy scratchy things. I like both. I think it's two flavors uh of, of the same thing. Well um tell people uh where they can find you and how to support you. Oh certainly, certainly. Uh you can find me at uh you can find twenty five o'clock at 25o'clockpod.com. That's with the number 25. Uh, or if you just type 25 o'clock podcast into any search engine, you'll find me as well. Uh, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 25 o'clock pod. That's typically my handle. Um, and that's that's the easiest way to find me. You can email me through there, send me messages, uh, check out the show. I've got, as of this morning, yeah, I put it out this morning, 183 episodes uh, of of that show, all different Philadelphia music artists, um, which is cool. Even if you're not from Philadelphia, um, maybe maybe you've heard of a couple of these people. And uh, and I have a, you can also find, a, I do an album, I do a live album podcast where I deep dive into live albums with uh, my best friend uh, for many years. It's called Double Lives. And you can find that at Double Lives Pod. Uh, dot libson.com that's a fun one too that's just sort of my uh that's like my cover band version of like <laughs> of having a podcast uh i take it very i take it as seriously as i take you know my regular podcast but that's like kind of my all right cool let's just you know let's just play around and like have some fun type of type of podcast nice yeah um but yeah and uh you know if you're ever in philadelphia we can all get out and see each other you know just just come find me I'm always, I'm always good for for a chat in a citywide. So, <laughs> well, hey man, I really appreciate you coming on. Oh yeah, thank you, thank you. I hope I made any sense and gave. Yeah, that was great, man. Yeah, you, you get some good advice, and I think that yeah. people are going to get something out of it. Thanks for listening. I really hope that you got something out of it. Check back on the first of each month for new episodes.